Um, it's always a great pleasure um, and an honor uh, to fill the pulpit for a pastor. Um, go ahead and uh, let's open in a word of prayer. Father, I just thank you for your word, and I thank you for the opportunity to come uh, this evening and to share uh, just kind of what you've been laying on my heart. And I just pray that um, you would anoint it and that you would prepare our hearts to receive from you, that we would be challenged and that we would be encouraged uh, and that we would be motivated. And I pray, Lord, that you would um, bless your people. And uh, in Jesus' name, amen. I was going to ask for the anointing again because I kind of feel a double anointing is needed at times. Um, I don't know about you, but I've had a terrible week. How many have ever had terrible weeks? It's like I have, um, uh, if you haven't noticed, haven't, haven't uh, remembered that I, uh, my daughter's getting married. We're planning for the wedding, and now we're at the home stretch. But we're at that point where you're about to pass that baton, you know, and in that relay race, those are the guys that, you know, maybe they get a little tired or the baton can be dropped or something like that. So there's a lot of stress as we make the final stretch there. Um, and just have had, I've had difficulty in school. I teach second grade, um, which has its own unique challenges. Um, and uh, I'm going to save more of that for as we get going because that's always fun. Um, but I've just had to have this week, and um, I'm on Facebook, so uh, I used to really be involved with Facebook, but I think now I just use it to commiserate on my beloved lions. So basically, uh, I'd like Facebook to kind of set up a, a way where I can find all my witty remarks over their periods of losing that I can put in one collection, write a book, and get rich. But then I realized that basically anybody in Detroit could write that book, so... Um, but I came out in my Lions gear because this is rivalry week, Michigan versus Michigan State, and I didn't want to alienate anybody by wearing the wrong color. You never know um, in today's day and age. But as I'm scrolling through Facebook, I came across, you know how they have these different um, quizzes and tests that they have in order for you to give your personal information up? Did you know that? That's what those are designed for is to harvest your personal information. But I came across one that was posted um, by somebody who's on my friend list, and it says, uh, what is the dumbest thing that some, some people believe in? So I'm going to give you a moment to think about what you would respond, and then I'll share what, I, what, what uh, this person wrote. She wrote Christianity. And it's, I looked at that, and, you know, if it's a casual acquaintance or a stranger or somebody that, you know, maybe you work with, that wouldn't be so surprising. But um, if anybody knows my history, I used to be a youth pastor, and I used to teach uh, Bible in a Christian school, and I used to pastor a church um, down in Carleton. So it was somebody that sat under my ministry that I taught the Bible to, and uh, has responded that one of the things that she thinks is the dumbest thing that people believe in is Christianity. And I sat there and I had an aha moment. We're in trouble in some different ways. Because we have uh, youth ministry, we have kids ministry, 
we have um, all this different type of ministry, but this generation is still kind of just lost. And another post that came across Facebook was, why are kids so angry? And I see it as well. I see it with my second graders. They come in and they, they're all clenched up. And it's like, dude, you're seven. The worst thing you have to worry about is, are you not going to have recess? So uh, we, we were talking a little bit here. And uh, my wife and I went to a political rally, um, which is the first time I've done that in like forever. But it just happened to be close. And I had uh, nothing to do. And we were going to go out to dinner afterwards. So it was like a a full circle thing. And if you don't want to get too much into politics, but I remember when I was uh, starting to be a teacher, uh, the guy who was in the union who was giving us, um, when I was a a student teacher, was giving us the union speech, basically told us that make sure that you always vote your self-interest. It's like, okay. Um, But I think it's okay to be involved in the political process. But I'm watching some things, and it's kind of, there's some things that concern me. First of all, is all this talk about um, the coming election, and uh, people are anticipating great victories and all this other kind of stuff. And I heard, it must have been on a show I was watching. I don't think it was at this rally. But somebody said, yeah, there's going to be a revival. And I said, dude, that's not the revival you need. Okay. And I just want to check you there. Um, and if you're, if you're um, wrapped up in the political scene and politics and looking forward to the election, that's okay. No, that's not what I'm talking against. But I just want to check. The Bible tells us some trust in horses, or some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but I will trust in the word of the Lord. I just quoted that wrong. Thank you. Sorry. So let's open our Bible and let's get to the scripture. And I really want to kind of um, talk about (sighs) politics is not going to save this country. And we do not need a revival of one side over the other. We need a revival of the spirit of God in our midst, uh, working in power to set the captives free, to bind up the brokenhearted um, and to forgive sin. And so we're in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Some trust, yeah, I didn't write down the whole verse, that's why. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For, if you, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to the human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love 
covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And I just want to pray again after God's word, if you don't mind. Father, I just thank you for your word. And again, I ask that you would anoint it, that I would get out of the way, and that you would speak to us in, in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you. Um, so basically, uh, this scripture is very powerful. I always found it very powerful. And I just want to point out a couple of things before I actually get into the message. The first thing is in first verse. I want you to look at what Peter is writing about. He says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with that same attitude. The attitude of what? He's talking about suffering. And just let that sink for a moment. Because there's a lot of things that we talk about and we think about, but that's not there. Suffering is what Peter's talking about. Secondly, he says that the person that suffers is done with sin. Again, Peter's focus there is on sin. And lastly, doing the will of God. We have a lot of plans. We have a lot of activities. We have a lot of things that, that uh, are important to us. But I want to pay a uh, focus right here with verse 3, where Peter says, you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Come out from among them. Do not get wrapped up in culture. We often talk about the culture today and how hard it is. I mean, it's hard watching TV. It's not even just the programming that's out there now. It's the commercials. You know, I would make a, a snide comment about, I watch sports. Well, it's the football game too, but that's just, if you watch the Lions game, you can commiserate with me. Every week, I put myself through it. Um, you've spent enough time. Come out from among them. Get your priorities straight, because with your priorities straight, power comes with the right priorities. And one of the reasons that we have the issues that we have in this community or in this world that we live in today is we're not emphasizing preaching the gospel with power. Romans 6.11 calls us to be dead to sin but alive to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Um, in Joshua, you know this story as they're getting ready. Um, this is actually at the end of the book of Joshua. He says, choose this day, um, but if you serve in the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the God your ancestors serve beyond the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites in whose uh, land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord, Joshua 24, 15. And Elijah, in the book of 1 Kings chapter 18, um, Elijah goes on, on up to Mount Carmel. It's a, a wonderful challenge of the culture of the day. Um, and he challenges the prophets of Baal. And 
He, of course, says the victory, God rains down fire, and he slays the prophets of Baal, and then he turns to the people, and he says, uh, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing, and then God answered in, in fire, and he slayed the prophets of Baal, and all the people were on the ground saying, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Um, and what we have to, to remember is that we have the truth of, uh, of Christianity. It's not the dumbest uh, thing in the world. It is life everlasting. It's eternal life. It's forgiveness for sin. It's God who became man uh, to set us free from sin, uh, died on the cross, and rose from the dead. And there is um, lots of things that we can uh, point to and focus on with the validity of Scripture and the deity of Christ and who he is. Uh, we have a whole, uh, um, I'm looking for the word for study. We have a whole um, discipline. Thank you. That's great. This corner over here is just great. I appreciate your support. Um, there's a whole discipline called apologetics, which takes you through uh, the reasonableness of Christianity. It takes you through the historical accuracy of Christianity, and it takes you through uh, the theological foundation in the Old Testament for Christianity that you can make reason arguments uh, for the defense of what you believe in. And so one of the things that I always say is that you need to know what you believe, and you need to know why you believe it. And before you get out talking to anybody else about it, you better make sure that you are committed to it. Uh, the, the, the Old Testament is full of a wishy-washy people who could never make up their minds where they were serving God or if they were serving idols. They're serving God or they're serving idols. Back and forth. You have all the judges that come through after Joshua, the judges are there, and then you have the minor prophets after the period of the kings. And then you have the Assyrians and the Persians. And after that, you don't see the Jewish people uh, playing around with idolatry anymore. That was cured. And so I just want to focus on that. I don't want the Assyrians coming to get me, and I don't want the Persians coming to get me. I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And I want to make sure that I am right with the Lord. And when I have a bad day, when I have things that are coming against me, or I start to get low, remember I talked last time about being depressed, how do you overcome depression? How do you overcome doubt? Through faith. You don't trust in your feelings. You trust in the word of God. And you ask the Lord to bring you through. And I love, Pastor, uh, the Lord will bring you through if you can stand the pulling. And so you just trust him to do what? To keep pulling you. You know, I know that uh, if God is for me, who can be against me? And so we have to be people who are committed to the cross again. And we got to understand that there, there's, there's the danger um, if we associate our Christianity too much with the culture or the nation or the politics, whoever's in power at that time, um, just go back and look at some church history. Uh, there was a period of time where the culture was very hostile to Christianity. The Colosseum. How many have ever been to Rome and you've seen the Colosseum? Yeah, that's a wonderful thing where Christians were thrown to the lions and to the gladiators and... Uh, were brutally murdered for their faith, and the Roman Empire uh, really went after them. And then in 312, I, got, I should write these dates. They come in my head. 
Constantine became emperor. Was that 312 or 304? I'm 312. Okay, that's what I said, so I'm good. Um, thank you, this corner, again. Um, then Constantine came to power, and they, uh, they uh, recognized Christianity, and the persecution stopped. And that's where we started having the recognized church. And uh, the power, you don't see the power in place as you did in the book of Acts or during the power of time of persecution. Uh, my professor always said that the church uh, was watered with the blood of the saints. It was the blood of the martyrs. Christianity is the dumbest thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 118, Paul writes, but we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to the Jews. A stumbling block is something they just can't get over. It's something that gets in the way, that everything may seem good, that Jesus may, may be a good moral teacher. They may like some of the things that he says, but there's things that get in the way and they stumble. They can't come to that point of receiving him as Savior and allowing him to um, uh, redeem them and, and, and change their life and have them become born again. It, they stumble. And it is foolishness to the Gentiles, to unbelievers. And I, I shared one time, I think, I don't know if it was the first time I was here or the second time, on Wednesday night about uh, we were at a, uh, uh, it was an Easter play, but they had talked about the, the virgin birth, and somebody got up and walked out and said, you know, he said some other things that I won't repeat. But to them, it's foolishness. It doesn't make sense. What? And you hear it all the time when they say, they start to characterize God and say, oh, well, God must be this or God must be that because, you know, he allowed Jesus to be tortured or he's going to send people... They, don't, they have no understanding. It's foolishness to them. But if you look at the rest of that verse, it says, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Jews that were able to get over the stumbling block and the Gentiles who were able to uh, come as little children and recognize the wisdom of the gospel, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. I want that. Okay? I want that. I want to understand that, yes, when I preach the gospel, there's going to be times when people may mock me, or they don't understand, or they refuse to believe, or they're unbelievers. And it's during those times that I need to gird myself and be strong and understand that I don't do the saving. My Gepard doesn't save anybody. And really, if you think about it, you know, we, we, do, uh, we do want to persuade people to be passionate followers of Christ. But really, the bottom line is the persuasion comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a God thing. It's not me. All I have to do is be a vessel. All I have to do is open my mouth, and God speaks through me in power. Now, I want to take you back to that time when you were first saved, because I don't know about you. I remember when I was in second grade, and I was learning to do handwriting. I was very excited about it. I'm not so excited anymore about handwriting. My handwriting is chicken scratch. And also mathematics. You know, we were, we were learning to add double digits. I teach 
adding double digits, and I don't like it either, okay? And I think that happens to us as we grow in the Lord, that some of the things that when we first got saved were so new and so powerful, and we know what God had, did, had done in our lives was so fresh that we just had to tell other people. I was always going around telling people, hey, God loves you. I had a friend of mine, his name was John, and we would go to Taco Bell. And he used to work at Taco Bell, so we'd go in there, and he'd visit with his uh, friends, and we'd get discounted food or free food or whatever. We went there because of the food. And he'd be going, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. And you know what happened with those girls at Taco Bell? <laughs> they got saved. They started coming to church with us, you know, and it's amazing because, you know, we weren't there trying to, to get them saved. We were just excited about what God had done in our lives, that it was spilling over. Isn't that rivers? Thank you. If I don't have it written down, I can't remember for the life of me today. But I can tell you that text features are uh, nonfiction. And that they help you to understand the information, because that's what I've been teaching all week. <laughs> Nonfiction, text feature. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just, it's what I do. But the thing is, is that the whole point in point one is to be serious with God. Okay? Get your priorities straight. If you want to write something down, you can say, Priorities bring power. There you go. Get your priorities straight. Because if your priorities are straight and you're right with God and you're dead to sin, then when you speak, God speaks through you with power. And people respond. Now, I've had a lot of uh, interesting um, experiences in my life. Um, not so many as other people. But I had the opportunity to go on a missions trip and I went to Belize which is a fun trip uh, in itself. I got elected to preach because what had happened is we went down there in Belize where we were was on an island. And so we went and we, we were supposed to work with a local church and um, the local church wasn't there when we were supposed to start service. And the, the pastor that I was with was getting antsy and saying, you know, it's seven o'clock, we gotta go. I said, the church is not here. He goes, well, it's seven o'clock, we gotta go. I said, we're down here to work with the local church. We got to wait. No, no, we got to go. Okay. So we went down there, and we had all our stuff up there, and we had our teenagers with us. And so we went, ran through our entire church service, right? And we finished and closed in prayer, did an altar call, and guess who rolled up? The church. And my friend says, the church is here. What are we going to do? I said, well, we're here for the church. We're going to do it again. He goes, oh, I can't do it again. He didn't like preaching open air. He says, you do it. Okay. Well, I discovered some things on open air preaching. We were on a beach where the most popular bar on the island was right across the street. And since we had gone later, it was starting to get to be, I don't know if they actually had happy hour time, but it was happy hour. But since we were making such a commotion and we had music and we had this, they all rolled out on the porch and we closed that bar down as they listened to our service. 
And I was just preaching a three-point sermon about um, Jesus loves you, you um, you know, you need to give your heart to Jesus and born again is being great, you know, something like that. I just threw it together, three points, and then we closed. And I had a flock of people that came to talk to me after the service. Let me just be honest, and I'm not trying to be It was not my best work, okay? Because it was basically, I don't want to preach, you preach. I don't want to preach, you preach. Let's get Mikey, he'll do it. Okay, let's do it. And in First Peter, he says, always be prepared to do what? To give a reason for the hope that is within you. So in season, out of season, I'm going to preach the gospel. And so I did. And God anointed it. It was in power, and people responded. And I had people flocking to me, asking me questions. And I had a conversion. It was amazing. I was so proud of it. I had an agnostic, or I had an atheist, who became an agnostic in less than five minutes talking to me. What do you mean? That doesn't seem that it is. Because what happened is God touched his heart, and he started thinking things through. I don't save anybody. I just plant the seeds. I just, spread, I just cast the, the, the seed. It's God who provides the increase. And he does it in power. Now, I've had other opportunities where I've prayed with people that have gotten saved that were, that were tremendous. Well, tell those. The point is it doesn't matter what my experience is with that. What matters is it's the gospel that is the power. The power is the gospel. It's good news. And the Holy Spirit anoints it, he waters it, and he brings it to harvest. Some, water, some plant, some water, and some bring in the harvest. Okay? Number two, second point. The second point here is if you look in our, in our, in our passage in verse 7, okay, and if you go down the middle of the paper, it's right after God in regard to the Spirit. Verse 7 is right there. It says the end of all things is near. And if you underline, you can underline that. This is written almost 2,000 years ago. And Peter thought that the end of all things is near. 2,000 years later, again, I told you, I'm not real good with math. But I think if the end of all things was near then, I think we're closer now. And I think that's something that we should pay attention to. Now, again, I'm looking forward to November 8th. I'm looking forward to my daughter's wedding. I'm looking forward to Christmas. But we as a church have to be looking forward to the, to the return of Christ. And we got to get that back, not only in our theology, but in our hearts, where we are expectant of him. Because it changes the way we, we, we approach life. It changes the way that we view people. It changes these feelings that we have of depression and that you're worthless and you have no... You have a purpose if you have been called to preach the gospel, to make disciples, and to share Jesus, and the world is coming to an end. Jesus is returning, and the time is short. There's a little bit of motivation. It's wonderful when you're a Lions fan, and they're down, and they know they only have two minutes left in the game. It's amazing. It was not last week, but anyway. It's amazing how they can 
and it's been like that for years. This was Stafford's big thing, is they can play horrible that whole game, but that two-minute drill, they're going to score. It was like, okay, note to the offensive coordinator, play two-minute drill all the time. <laughs> okay? Just tell them, hey, we're playing a new kind of football game. There's only two minutes left. you got to go score. <laughs> Do it. The time is short. The end is nearer than it was before. Um, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken, and the other left. Matthew 24, 37 through 41. I want to be the one taken. I want to have my priorities straight. I want to be prepared and watching. I want to be looking expectantly to the Lord. I want to be able to say, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And... Matthew 25, verse 13. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. There's an expectation that we need. Not like when I had first got saved and all these movies came out and we were afraid that the rapture is going to come and we're going to be left behind. Not going to be left behind. Why? Go back to point one. Because you spend enough time doing what pagans choose to do. Don't do that anymore. Okay? That's the whole thing about being born again. You've been reconciled to God. You are a new creation. So be a new creation. Oh, but you don't understand what I've done, Pastor. Okay. God understands what you've done. And there's this thing called the atonement. The blood of Christ can wash you clean. Oh, well, I already did that, and I messed up again. Okay. Come to the water. Come to the blood. Come to the fountain. There's a fountain filled with blood that will cover your sin again. How many times? What did Jesus say? Seventy times seven. There's not a limit. We're walking in grace. And the whole point of, of point one is don't take that grace for granted. Don't be ungrateful. Understand that um, that grace is there so that you can be changed by God so that you can be salt and light in the world in which you live. And when you are salt and light, they're not talking to you about what you've done or your past because what happens is you decrease and the Lord increases. And what happens is when you're speaking, God's speaking to them. And we need to get out of our, out of our own way. We need to get out of God's way. We need to let him arise and the enemies will be scattered. We need to quit playing, and, and I don't mean this, don't take this as an insult. I don't mean it derogatory. We need to quit playing church. We need to quit worrying about, um, well, I'm going to go here because the coffee's better here. And I'm going to go there because they have valet parking. And I'm going to, 
No. You go there and become part of a community so that you have an opportunity to serve, that you fellowship with one another so they can build you up. You have an opportunity to worship God so that your praises can bring you power. Okay, you have an opportunity to be to sit under teaching where you can be discipled and you have an opportunity where you can be sent or send others involved in missions. The fivefold purpose of the church. We need to get away from this competition and all this thing that, 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 that seems to be uh, wrecking our society because the young people do not look to the church in the same manner as they did before. I talked before about a whole group of people that are the, the um, what, are, what did I say they were called? Uh, I want to say the neithers, but they're unchurched. They, they're basically people that have quit. They've given up on organized religion. And I have second graders in my classroom who have no idea who Jesus is. They have no idea why we celebrate Easter. Now, I can understand Labor Day, and I can understand, you know, veterans. I can understand you don't understand what Easter is. The end of all things is near. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. First, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. We need to be Christ-like in our Christian lives again. And again, not saying that you're not. It's a focus. Rearrange your priorities. Understand the time. When I uh, uh, work with math, I, one of the things I try to do is I get second graders who are low in math, and I try to get them to um, become more fluent in their in their uh, their fluency for, for um, addition and subtraction. So what I do is we go over it, we teach them, I give them some strategies, some tools, and then I'll put the timer up. And I give them a piece of paper that has some math. How many of you ever did that, those, those little speed drills or whatever they, whatever they were called? Now, I don't punish them if they don't do the timer. I don't mark them down. I don't grade it, basically. But having that timer means that they are focused on what they're doing because that clock is, is ticking. It focuses their attention. And that's all I want to do here today is I want to focus your attention on living for God because the time is short and we have the opportunity now. So uh, where uh, sin abounds, grace also abounds. As Jesus said, the fields are ripe with harvest. They're ripe, they're white. They're, they're out there. The harvest is plentiful, but what is continually the, the point? The laborers are few. We need to pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers. And I still remember um, in the 80s, Keith Green, how about me not sending a check this year, Lord? How about me going? How about me being a laborer? How about me putting myself out there? How about me taking a, a risk? Okay. 
Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come. It's not here yet. It may feel like it. It's not here yet. The Holy Spirit is still present. The Holy Spirit is still moving. The Holy Spirit is still touching hearts. The Holy Spirit is still anointing his word. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. I want to be prepared. I pray, Lord, help me to prepare myself. Help me to get ready. Help me to understand the time. Help me to, to uh, rearrange my priorities and, and put you first more than I do. Lord, change my heart. Search my heart and know me. See if there's any wicked way in me. It's very easy for us to look at somebody else and say, oh man, that person's a mess. Look in the mirror. I'm a mess. Um, oh, what was his name? Brandon. Um, see, he wrote a book called uh, The Ragamuffin Gospel. And basically, we're all ragamuffins. We're all beggars at the same table. Okay? And we need to, to understand that God's grace has saved us. And when we look at somebody and we think that they're beneath us or they're worse than us, they're, except for the grace of God, go I. And so what happens is when you start to rearrange your priorities and you understand that time in which we're living and you know that the end of all things is near, it changes your perspective about your fellow man. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 20. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We, therefore, are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore, <coughs> we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. There's a change in your perspective towards others. There's a reality that comes to yourself. You are a new creation. All things have passed away. Everything has become new. So if you're holding on to the past, it's you that's holding on to it because God is not punishing you for your past. It's under the blood. It's been forgiven. You've been set free. Um, last time I was here, I talked about Pilgrim's Progress. I don't know if anybody read that book. Have you read it since the last time I was here? Read it. It's a Christian classic. It's great. 
Um, it tells the story of Christian who's on his uh, journey to the celestial city. It's a parable about going to heaven, okay? And he gets into trouble along the way, and he gets off track, and he ends up the prisoner of the giant of despair, and he's in the dungeon of despair. And he's not feeling too good about it. And he's there for a while, and he's, he's suffering abuse, and he's moaning, and he's depressed. Then he discovers that he's had the key to get out this whole time. And the key is named Promise. How many have the devotionals of God's promises? Start hitting those again when you feel low. God promises you um, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Um, God's got you. Um, if God is for us, who can be against us? So therefore, don't fear what man can do to you. That promise is there to unlock that. The time is short. Get your priorities straight. Start living for God. Start being salt and light and start reaching the lost. Lost people matter to God. My friend that said that, that put that through the um, uh, Facebook, I right away was going to, right? What do you mean? Don't you remember what I taught you? That was what I always wanted to do. Don't you remember? We covered this. Were you sleeping that day? No, I'm, I, I didn't do any of that. I just taken it and put her aside and I'm going to pray for her. Because that person's life was hard. That person had terrible losses when she was a young girl. That person um, had terrible situations when she was an adult. And so remember we talk about when we have experiences and circumstances. Uh, they get in the way. They get your eyes off of Jesus. And then what happens is you can become embittered you can let a root of bitterness uh, spring up, and then that binds you. But God, through Jesus, breaks those bond, bounds. He sets the captives free. And praying for that person from a distance will do a lot more than any of my persuasion 30 years later on Facebook will do. Has anybody ever had anybody that you argued with on Facebook, hey, yeah, you're right. I'm going to start thinking like you now. No, it doesn't happen. Maybe you have a conversion from an atheist to an agnostic. I never thought of it that way. But people aren't on Facebook looking to change. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 through 20, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming, when no one can work. And that's John chapter 9, verse 4. And that's the words of Jesus. Work while it is day, for night is coming. And I've learned a thing or two about Jesus that when he says something, he means it. 2,000 years later, night hasn't come. But, you know, as you go through the cycle of the day, each hour, that night starts ticking closer. It's going to come. Because there are forces that are beyond your control that are making it happen. Okay? There are forces beyond our control that are making these things happen that Jesus is going to return. Because he said he was going to. That's a promise that we hold on to. When it's dark, when we have no hope, we can encourage one another, Maranatha, 
The Lord's comes. Yes, Lord, come quickly. We need to be people who understand that the time is short. It needs to motivate us to bring people to Jesus. I got a little um, um, photograph here, um, just something I found off of, off of uh, the Internet. It's got the power of the cross, and it's got scriptures. It says, the cross of Christ, the power of the cross brings peace, reconciles to God, redeems, saves sinners, crucifies the world to us, abolishes the law, and draws one to Christ. We need to lift up the banner of Christ. Amen? Father, I thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would now set a seal upon it, that we would meditate on it, that we would understand, Lord, that we would evaluate our lives, we look in the mirror, we would judge ourselves, let judgment begin in the house of God, we would start to reflect on our, on our, on our life and our decisions and say, Lord, see if there's anything in me. Because we spend enough time doing what pagans choose to do now. Let's come out from among them. Let's live for you. Um, let's be that light shining in the darkness. Lord, help us to understand that the time is late, that um, there will come a day when the trumpet will sound, and everything that's so important to us now will fade, and it'll be all about you. Help us to live our day like that, expecting you and wanting you to say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant, and tune to your rest. Lord, may we be active uh, and understand that we are Christ's ambassadors. And I love the part, as it says, uh, the ministry of reconciliation, may we implore others as though God is making his case through us, as though God is imploring through us. Let's be your ambassadors. Let's be your vessels that you work through. Lord, I pray that you would send people into my path that I can share your love with, that you would give me more opportunities to present the gospel that I haven't had in the past, that you would give me opportunities like you did when I was newly saved or I was newly in youth ministry or I was newly in ministry. Give me opportunities as people come across my path to be salt and light, yes, but also to have the opportunity to reach them and pray with them and lead them to you and see them changed, redeemed, and born again. Lord, I pray that each of us would start to, uh, in our daily devotion time, start to yearn to be used by you. God, give me opportunities. God, give me opportunities. Put somebody in my path that I can lead to you. Let me be a, uh, one that brings in the harvest, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for joining us today for Woodland Church and our YouTube channel. I hope you'll take a moment and click that subscribe button and also click the notifications bell so that you'll know when new things are posted. We're always putting new material up so that you can be a part of everything that's going on. We want to share those with you and we hope 
that they will encourage you and strengthen you in your faith as you watch. You can also find out more about Woodland Church by going to our website at woodland.church. You can find out all about us and also upcoming events. Again, thank you for joining us today.